Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. I'm your host, Ani Lee. My interest in fiber goes back to childhood, when I'd pore over bedding catalogs and obsess over fiber content and thread count. My mother, bless her, taught me to knit at age 10, and I've fallen increasingly in love with all things fiber ever since. I started the Close Knit Podcast in 2016, and I've had the pleasure and privilege of speaking to over 50 incredible people since then. On this podcast, you'll hear from all kinds of folks who share a love of fibers, from full-time practicing artists to those whose main practice is mending their garments. I'm interested in hearing and sharing as many people's stories and experiences with fiber as I possibly can, because I believe each of these unique stories is powerful and teaches us more about how humans use fiber to make sense of the world around us. This podcast is supported by a very special community on Patreon. Pledging just $5 a month there helps me keep Close-Knit up and running by covering hosting and streaming costs and paying my wonderful editor. I cannot thank you all enough for your support, as it's what enables me to sustainably continue this work. So if you've ever enjoyed an episode, please consider pledging your support at patreon.com slash closeknit. That's www.patreon.com slash closeknit. Hey, it's Ani and I'm here with Katarina, otherwise known as Kat. Kat is a homesteader, a maker, a folk herbalist, and a mother living in rural Portugal. She likes to spend her days exploring local flora, photographing, and creating magic. Together with her partner, they've built their house by hand, and they grow nourishing food. Kat, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you. It's like, it's so funny. I'm so used to having video to be able to like you know, it's, it almost feels like trying to communicate with someone with your mask on. It's like you kind of have half of it, but you can't really see their expressions. I feel like I like over communicate because I'm like with my eyes, I squint a lot to show that I'm smiling. <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to see faces, but maybe that's really to like more quality in sounds. and Yeah. Words. I appreciate I appreciate you suggesting that because it's probably the right call from a um, podcast recording best best uh, practice standpoint. But I just miss seeing your face. <laughs> <laughs> Selfishly, I miss seeing your face. Um, thank you for being here. I yeah I have uh, this year I was originally intending to focus on Bay Area makers. It was important to me to kind of start to root down into. Oakland. And I really wanted to have these conversations in person and then, you know, shelter in place, which is kind of what the mandate is called in my area to stay at home uh, hit. And I kind of was like, wait, the whole point was that I wanted to be able to have these conversations in person and sit with people and talk with them. And it started to make a lot less sense, you know, once I realized I would not for the foreseeable future be able to like have a person in my closet with me like recording a podcast. So it was exciting. It made me excited to think about like, oh, there are all these people that I want to speak to and have wanted to speak to for a while who are in all parts of the world. And you were kind of the first person that came to mind. And I'm just so excited to have you here. <laughs> it's good to have an excuse to chat. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Yeah. So can you set the stage a little bit of where you are just for our listeners? I, where are you right now? Okay. So right now I'm sitting in my kitchen uh, with a cat by my side. I think she's sitting laying on the table, even though that's like forbidden to every other living person <laughs> in our house. <laughs> we are in central Portugal in a very like remote-ish, yeah, in a remote-ish location. Mm. Um yeah, I don't know, like there's that's exactly what I am. Like I look through the window, I can see I can see Spain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> A few mm-hmm. hills away. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're so close to the border. Oh, and I see a beautiful rocky ridge and loads of pine trees mm-hmm. on the like on the horizon on the hills, also closer to home. We have more olive trees and cork oaks. Mm. What else? I see like a blazing blue sky 
Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's extremely hot right now. Mm. We started having our first 43 degrees, like Celsius. Like 43, Kat? Yeah, I know with the real feel of like 46, but yeah. That is bonkers. That is so hot. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but maybe it's also very familiar to lots of folks in Australia. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Months and months without rain on the forecast yeah, yeah um, absolutely yeah so it's a it's a bittersweet season i love this beginning of summer where you feel like you're coming out of the lethargy of winter and yeah everything is coming back to life and sprouting and you feel just so full of creative energy and mm. then yeah and that lasts a while because when summer hits and it hits usually very soon by end of may yeah it's as if you go again into a lethargic phase and (laughs) yeah it took us yeah it took me a bit to realize this like because six years ago we moved to the countryside and we're when you're in the city that really feel these things and now i'm realizing that summer is the time for rest mm. and in this climate maybe winter is more the time to be active even mm. though we have like the rainy days in which you stay in and you're active in a different way yeah when like lots of knitting lots of knitting gets done in winter and yeah <laughs> because you are in a nice space inside made by the wood stove or wherever but when summer comes it's very hard to find shelter from the heat yes. and you can't really do much building outside um all those outside projects and i don't know like whatever building project you have on hand usually gets put on pause yeah i can imagine (laughs) that kind of heat i can't i cannot even wow yeah i have a lot of so there were a lot of pieces there that we'll definitely circle back to with you know the building that you guys are doing and the um the move to rural Portugal, but a place I really like to sort of start conversations with people is asking about your earliest memory of fiber, a textile, or, you know, this could be just clothing yourself or something in your, something just like early in your memory. Can you bring me there? I think I can. Let me see. The first thing that comes to my mind, which I don't know if it's the earliest, well, seeing my mom knit. Mm. So... My mom, I've seen her knitting like throughout my childhood, not as like, not as regularly as I do, mm. but better. <laughs> so like more, <laughs> when yeah. I knit, it's very hard for me to be like creative and come up with my own patterns. And my mom was doing that. So I remember her knitting sweaters for me and then for my sister. And... I don't know if I was fascinated by it. It was just like a thing. Yeah, she's knitting a sweater. It would be a nice experience, actually, because I would pick the colors and the style. And I remember this sweater that was orange with like the yarn had some gradient on it. It went from like dark orange to more lighter tone. Yeah. Front pocket where I could put my hands in. And that like kind of a turtleneck. I don't know the English name for it. It's like it was like a it was high, but it didn't really fall down. Uh-huh. <laughs> um yeah, I wonder what it's such a maybe a mock neck. I think we call it a mock neck. Where it's oh, like a okay. turtleneck. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, it might be that. <laughs> so that's maybe the earliest. And at the time it didn't yeah, like I said, I wasn't fascinated by it. And I think it took me a long time to actually ask my mom how she how she knitted how do you make the stitches and even then like I was it was hard for me to learn (laughs) yeah do you remember roughly what age that was that specific sweater I was maybe let me see maybe 11 10 or 11 yeah I'm sure she was knitting before yeah because when we um, when me and my partner first moved out of the city we were in the mountains where my grandparents used to live from my father's side. Mm. And there were some sweaters there that my mom had knitted for, oh. yeah, either for my dad or for my grandparents, like, a long time ago. 
Oh, wow. So she was definitely meeting before that orange sweater. Right, right, right. No, I love that so much because I think so many of us actually have this memory or people who, you know, so many of us who continue to work with textiles or fiber in some way have some kind of familial heritage around it or some kind of familial memory of someone in our families doing the craft. And and I love, I'm noticing a, a trend as well in the guests that I've spoken to this year that, and maybe in the past, but I'm only just making this connection, but that a lot of these folks had a parent or a grandparent making them a garment, but the, the child had some creative agency in the process in that they chose the pattern or the style or the color or all of those things. And I don't know if, if I'm just fe- feeling really sentimental or something, but something about that kind of agency giving to a kid at that age makes me feel really excited and happy and makes me think about sort of the possibility of collaboration with your child. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I do. And now that you're saying that, and like being myself a mom now that has knitted for a child that has very clearly refused to wear whatever I've knitted, mm. I think that maybe that agency might be given also as a way of encouraging like the person to use it. Like, okay, right. you need the color. Um, just come on, like, yeah, making a piece of clothing takes time. Yes. Yeah, and <laughs> you want it to be worn. Yes, totally. <laughs> so that might be part of the equation. Yes. I, I once did this super beautiful sweater for, for my daughter with bubbles on it. No, it, actually she wears that one. It was something else. And she never wanted to wear it. And it just like broke my heart. I was like, I did this for you with so much love. And I could hear like her mind thinking of something that she couldn't fully express at the time, which was like, yeah, you did it for me, but I didn't ask you to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the next that I made for her, I was like, okay, you pick the color. Yeah. And I was like crossing my fingers, like, don't pick pink. Don't pick pink. <laughs> She's like, pink, this pink. Like the bright pink or the dusty pink? Crossing my fingers, the dusty pink, the dusty pink, the bright pink. Like, oh crap. Okay, here I am knitting a pink sweater, yes. which she wore until it was like so tight. Yes. She couldn't put it on anymore. Yes, <laughs> totally. That is so funny. I mean, and it's, I appreciate you grounding that sentiment that I have because I feel like I was a little bit like, oh, how lovely to collaborate with your child. But the reality oh. is, you know what? I, no, no, no. But absolutely, the reality is like when you knit for someone, and I have this experience myself these days when I knit for other people, it's like, I want you to want this thing. Like I knitted a, a cardigan for my sister and every step of the way was like, you choose the color, you choose the like, you know, she wanted it to be machine washable. And I was like, okay, we're going machine washable because that's what we want. <laughs> you know, like it was just all of these steps of like, I just, like you said, it's it's something made with so much love. And it is also something that is made with so much of your time, just so much of your time. There is, I feel like I am constantly explaining to people just how long knitting takes. <laughs> Like anyone, other artists, other other makers, I feel like there are these times where I'll, you know, I'm, I really like trading with folks. And when you get a really solid trade where the other person gets how long it takes to work on something and then they, they mirror that with the time and effort that they put into the thing that they make for you, it's like, you know, chef's kiss. It's just like a perfect it's such a nice thing, but I there are times where I'm, you know, there's no malicious intent here. There's no, nobody means to devalue this work. I don't think like I, the people I'm speaking to, that's not the intention, but there are times where I'll have to be like, no, knitting a pair of socks will take me at least eight hours, potentially 10. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then that, I think there's this like, oh, oh, okay. Like, you know, I knew knitting took a while, but like, wow, when you put it in those words, I didn't realize it took quite so long, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, there's like a whole other conversation to be like to have here, which is like the value of clothes and yes. <laughs> how undervalued this is right now with fast fashion. And I mean, I don't know, like, do we want to have this conversation now? I do have a lot yeah. to say. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes, Kat, let's do it. <laughs> okay um 
where to start? Yeah. Okay. Make clothes take time. That's a good statement to start from. Yeah. And and when we we've just set our standards on how much how much we are able to pay. Mm-hmm. We're so used to paying so little money yeah. for clothes that we've I think we've just internalized that clothes are quick to produce and right. cheap to produce mm-hmm. and easy to uh, like to cheap to ship to to market whatever. Right. So often I will receive messages of people that want me to knit them a sweater, like, oh, like how much, mm. how much would this cost? And I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm very cheap on this because I know that not everyone can afford a nice handmade sweater. And if I give like a real price with how much I value my own work and presence per hour, it's just like never attainable. So I'm like, oh. Right. Oh, like let's do a uh, hundred bucks plus yarn. Oh gosh! And, uh, most people don't even write back. <laughs> wow! Like oh my gosh! Yeah, like this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a shame. Like at least say no, thank you. But okay, that's like something else. Right. Um, it's funny because this idea of like the fast fashion, buying clothes and wear them a few times and throw them away. Obviously, not to talk about the environmental impact of these, the social impact of these, of who's actually paying right. for the cheap ones to buy, which are most probably people of color right. in unprivileged countries, right. buying without thinking two, three, four times before doing so. I often find that this is translated into the way we meet as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like you and me have had one sneak change about this under one of your posts, I think, yes. in which like, we were talking about the rush of hormones yes. one gets like scrolling through a yarn, like um, knitting pattern page. Yes. Um, I feel that like so, it's full on. It's a bit like the rush I felt when I was going through stores finding like skirts to buy whatever like oh that's nice i couldn't eat that oh that's so nice mm, I want this one too and i favorite all of that and maybe i buy one or two of these patterns yeah and they, these might be a reflection of the value we give clothes and how this mentality of fast fashion has permeated into our lives as makers yes because let's be honest how many sweaters does one person need? Yes. Unless you're growing, you know, <laughs> children don't keep, they grow a lot, but yeah. I have more sweaters than I actually need. Yeah. And and I know I can say, oh, but I make them because I can. I have all of these because like I can make them and and it's okay. I'm not like there's I'm not um supporting a fast fashion brands. Even then, I once had this discussion with a friend of mine that has sheep. This is something I really want to do in the future. She has her own sheep and she shears them and Mm. makes yarn out of it. And we were talking about this idea of making so much. And she was like, you know, like before, it would take like maybe two years to make a cardigan because one year to care for the sheep. Yeah. and shear them and then to prepare the wool and then to actually knit the piece yeah and then you have a piece and you ch- you cherish it like forever and you mend it yeah. and you you know you're so good at mending well you know <laughs> <laughs> um and then yeah maybe it's a cardigan that you'll keep for the rest of your life and i like this relationship with clothes and this is something i want to foster more yes um even though i always want to improve my knitting techniques and my skills and i want to support other makers right. in their dyeing in their spinning in their pattern writing right i feel conflicted sometimes yes. a part of me yeah wants to make more wants to support more and there, then there's another part of me that's like you don't need to do more mm. because you have enough pieces for you and i 
what's really the driving force behind me wanting to need so much yeah um yeah it's it's strange i don't have an answer for this and yeah these are just like loose thoughts no it's great i may be like expressing them out loud for the first time right now it's perfect Um, no kat this is (laughs) i love i i love that this is this is where you took it because i was i was literally thinking as i took a shower before we before we started recording that I come back to that post that you're talking about where we exchange that thought process very regularly. So I think the post had been for context for listeners, the post had been something like me talking about feeling this like urge to make something immediately and like feeling like I didn't have control over that urge really. And, and Kat's response was like, you know, I get a hit, like a dopamine hit when I go through the Ravelry page of like hot right now. Is is that just me? And I, I remember just thinking like, oh, you feel that too? Like I, you know, I look at your life, I look at your, your, the things you're knitting. And I, I think I've, you know, there's like this assumption that I've made that like, no, she's past all that. Like she's evolved past me, you know, to this point where she doesn't. Work like that. And it was so, it was so like, connecting for me in that moment like it made it just something about that 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 admission that like public admission that you also struggle with this and you think about it and you're conflicted about it was just so helpful like I just so appreciated that you said that because I was like yes that is exactly the articulation of the thing that I'm feeling of like I don't need more but I also want, you know, part of the practice is practicing. Like it's interesting and fun and challenging and cathartic and therapeutic to just knit. So I, you know, I want to knit more. And then like you say, there's this additional side of like, there's a whole community of people, predominantly women. And there's a community of women of color who I deeply want to support within the fiber arts community with my money and with whatever means and resources I do have. Like it's a complicated thing to show up with your ethics to this whole thing. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. like you said, I don't think there's a correct answer here because not ever buying yarn ever again and not ever knitting anything else ever again just because you have enough right now probably isn't the answer. Like it might be the answer for someone, but it doesn't sound like the answer for me. Like I know there's still going to be this like desire within me to make. And I think what's particularly complicated about that desire is like you rightly pointed out, how much of that is a permeation or like a permeated kind of fast fashion, overconsumption, globalization, getting things fast, instant gratification, kind of like how much of that, of all of those things that we've been kind of inundated with in our social media, in our lives, in trends, you know, how much of that is actually the feeling that I'm feeling and how much of it is just truly that I I really like making things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think the one of the answers for this, um, which I think we've also touched right on, was is like knitting for others, mm-hmm. which can also obviously also be questioned. Like, does this person really need these or that? But that might be an outlet. And also, obviously, let's not forget that for some people, making and knitting is a really important coping mechanism to yeah. support their mental health. So, yeah, like, we're not diminishing that uh, with this conversation at all. Some Yeah, sometimes, because I go back and forth with this, I do think that for my own self, knitting is and has been like a tool that I've used to process my anxiety. And there are times where I'm kind of sitting with that thought and wondering, like, is knitting the way I avoid my anxiety or is it the way I process my anxiety? And (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not sure it matters. You know, I, I, I think that there's something to our bodies kind of knowing what we need. And, um, for, you know, for me personally, knitting feels right in my hands, like something about the motion, something about the sensation and the engagement with the actual material feels right you know just like feels Mm -hmm. right in my body 
And I kind of am okay with just going with that, you know, as a, maybe that's just enough of a reason to continue doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, but it is, it's extremely complicated. And I think the whole kind of internet culture of making on the internet, I'm thinking of mostly Instagram, but like Ravelry is part of this too. And, and I think like it's, it started from this place of like, most of us don't have a lot of people in our lives that like get, you know, I'm kind of putting in air quotes, like get it around like making. Do you, is that, does that sound true for you? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something afterwards. Go okay, on. <laughs> great. No, yeah. I just, cause I feel like part of why I reached into the internet <laughs> um, for lack of a better way of phrasing that for support or, or just kind of started posting things on the internet that I'd made was that I noticed that like, you know, the the partner I had or the people in my family or my friends around me at the time, I might have been 20 or something like that, just didn't, they just didn't totally get what I was on about. Like they, they were supportive, but they were sort of like, okay, yeah, whatever. Okay. So, I, you know, reached into the internet for that kind of, I think that kind of validation and, and found it there and found this community of makers who were like, yay, you made a thing. Clap, clap, clap. Like, we're so happy for you. Um, but I've, it's been really interesting to exist within that kind of sphere for maybe the last eight, 10 years or something of watching it sort of change and morph and having people hashtagify the, the movement or, you know, share their, share the patterns that they're making and share their makes and kind of just noticing myself sitting with seeing, uh, the knitting and sewing community go through its trends and, um, like silhouettes that everyone's knitting at the same time and and that kind of you know being happy to sit within that and see people's beautiful creations and also sit with my own like which of these things do I really need or want which of these things actually like is it a trend that I'm following like there's a lot of things I think of as being kind of more like you rightly pointed out I think like more defining of like the fast fashion movement but that feel kind of like they're in the maker sphere you know this trendiness the desire to make more things and just kind of like make for the sake of making I don't know and for sure like Instagram can be it's so amazing that you can find the people you relate to and yeah really find a, a, a community that you nurture and that nurtures back and you find your like your spots in there. Yeah. And sure when things um, get on Instagram and become uh, trends, like mm-hmm. um, good trends, you know, like DIY and making your own clothes and sewing your own clothes, because Instagram is also market driven. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there is a lot of this let's call it like the fast fashion mentality mm-hmm. into it because even though you give yourself whatever you're making and you post it in our platform and you're interacting with others instagram is a place where people like you don't spend a lot of time for posts on instagram yeah. everything is very quick yeah and things come and go it's an incredibly fast like um, speed mm-hmm. so this the thing of yeah making or making this specific thing whatever i think yeah there's also this like fast character characteristic to it um when it's instagrammable when it's yeah when it's hashtagable right and i think i talked a little bit with um sarah Ensigak on the last episode about this just you know i would love to eventually find a way for this group of people because I so cherish that community and I so cherish the the way that this community both holds, there's, there's a both and kind of feeling within the knitting community and the fiber arts community, I believe, which is like, we can both hold compassion for each other and hold each other accountable. And that feels quite unique to me on the internet <laughs> in general. Um, and I don't see it as much in other other communities that I, I mean, I guess I'm not part of that many other communities on the internet, but I, I really cherish that space that people are willing to kind of show up as their raw tender selves, but also ask for more and ask questions and be really diligent about understanding their 
place within the intersections of their identities and intersections of their privileges. And I wonder sometimes about like when or if or in what future and how we start to kind of move that community away from Instagram or, you know, there's this part of me that's like so afraid of like getting off Instagram and being like, but, but then how would I engage with Kat? And then I'm like, wait, do we, are we all maybe moving? Could we all move towards a future where actually the way we engage with each other is long form blog posts and we have this time, you know, it's like, it's kind of like going back to 2007, you know what I mean? Back to the future. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because the internet has, has enabled us to make these amazing connections with people you wouldn't relate to in other ways, but we are, we need physical contact. We need, yeah. like, we need, I think communication needs slowness yeah. for it to like be fully apprehended. And, and with Instagram, this slowness is, is missing. Mm. Uh, you scroll through like a hundred stories in five minutes. Yeah. You type comments and you don't really reread it before you post it. I'm guilty of that too. How many times I've like corrected my misspellings. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know. I liked it when things were thought when, when like, not, I liked it as if people don't do it anymore. Of course, there are people still like reading what they're writing and seeing if it's like all good. Uh, but just putting more more thoughtfulness into yeah. their actions, into the way they express their thoughts in the written word. Yeah. And I think a lot of conflict would be avoided if people were just more just more thoughtful mm -hmm. <laughs> or posting something that can possibly be offensive to someone and then yeah. You know, and then discussions start and it's like, like this could all be avoided if we were just putting our normal speeds of conversation and of making thoughts on our minds into the way we express like ourselves outside. Yeah. Just making a current line of thoughts takes time, at least for me, especially in a different language than my own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like. We, we should respect ourselves more and allow for that slowness. And, and social media doesn't really allow for slowness. Everything is so quick. Right. It's hard for me to keep up. I feel like I'm always a day behind whatever is happening. And it's not because of time difference because I'm like five hours ahead <laughs> of New York. <laughs> it's just the way information is apprehended. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe we should start like a physical almanac with stories oh from gosh. people and start like mailing yeah. it around. <laughs> that actually, wow. <laughs> that actually would be really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I've got, we've got, we'll have to talk offline about, <laughs> about how we start that because that would be really special to have, to kind of start it in, you know, with a lot of the people that we both, I'm sure, mutually follow and care about on Instagram, but kind of just like a, I, I once had this idea of like a community garment of some kind, like having multiple people knit. Uh, I, it would be difficult to do it with a garment just because gauge would be probably a <laughs> a difficult issue to account for, but just something where you did some of it and then passed it along and then the next person did some of it and then they passed it along, like just kind of a project that wasn't actually just our own. Like I, I think sometimes I wonder about this, this sense that like we have to do it all ourselves or that the entire project has to be done on our own. And I've noticed with a couple of my sort of work in progress items that have sat for a while that maybe they aren't right for me to finish. Maybe they were right at the time and now they don't feel right for me. You know, maybe something was going on that I was processing and the processing is done and it actually does need a new home. Like I have a quilt that I, you know, stitched, like I stitched it all together and it just needs to be trimmed and bound, but it doesn't feel like mine anymore. Like there's just, there was enough of another kind of lifetime, another relationship another like whole time of of place for me that I just I feel like it should be someone else's and so I've, I've often wondered like 
wouldn't it be so interesting and and fun to to have a group of people that you like traded your work in progress items with and they finished them and gave them a new home and i don't feel super attached to the idea that something has to be made 100% by me like i'm very happy to receive a thrifted sweater and just darn the holes in it and call it something that i've you know i love that i got to make some part of it and that i didn't have to do the whole thing yes i mean things sometimes feel right at the time and then they don't feel right anymore yeah. And that is so okay. And that is so valid. You were speaking about that, that idea of the car- a garment, like passing around. Mm. And this is like a very different, <laughs> a very different topic, but not so different. Mm. Uh, when I was younger, I used to spend a lot of time in bookshops because my father is an editor. Mm. So he would spend like long times in, in bookstores and I would usually go with him and just like read through and pick books up and and just spend a lot of time in that company. And once there was a book that called my attention, I was like my early teens. Uh, sorry, it's really silly. <laughs> I want to share it with you. Oh, please. Um, and the book was something like Four Girls and a Pair of Jeans. It yep. was like pop. Oh my gosh, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, the sisterhood of the traveling pants. It's literally what I was thinking of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone that's listening and they have no idea what this is, me and Annie will break it down for you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, who started? Who started the jeans? I don't know. I don't even remember. It's like these four... Yeah, it's like four friends who find a pair of pants and they all have different body shapes, sort of. Like, you know, their body shapes are not that different, but they're sort of different. And they're like, oh, they fit us all, right? Like, I think that that's the premise of it, that somehow these pants magically fit all four girls and they're best friends, but they're going off on like their summer or post high school and they need to feel connected. (laughs) And then they they send it around in turns and each person passes through... They, like, write a message on it, don't they? Yeah, I think they, like, add little things to the jeans as they go, and then they, like, have a little booklet or something like that where they add to, like, the, you know, the trip that the jeans took while they were with this girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I think it was a very pop culture thing. Yes. Um, But there's a beautiful message behind it. And I think it touches with this thing of like cherishing a piece of clothing and having it tell your story in the way clothes do, in the unique way that clothes do. They're like, clothes sometimes are literally the physical memory Mm. of the the things, the adventures, the episodes you've been through. As they stretch, as they rip, as you mend them, as you, you need to do something with a different color because you didn't have the original one. Yeah. yeah, this thing of <laughs> cherishing a piece of gold. And then don't keep it just for you. And sharing that that joy and, and that gift yeah. with someone else. Yeah, it's a funny illustration of it. But it's I think it honestly is probably what planted the seed in my brain that it would be possible to send something <laughs> around. <laughs> so that's the book you enjoy to read. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's been a it's been a minute since I've picked that book up, but I'm sure I feel like it, it might have been like added to Netflix or something. I feel like I it came into my peripheral memory recently where I was like, really? The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? I haven't thought about that since I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so funny. Because it's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> Kat, something else that I love that you speak to that I very rarely see people speaking to in the fiber arts community is access to yarn and and the sorts of yarns that we choose based on our you know personal budgets and obviously this is an incredibly complex topic because on the one hand you know the yarns that are being locally spun and hand dyed and all these things like by by all means they deserve to be priced the way that they are priced the people who are making those you know, objects deserve to be compensated for that labor in a fair way. But at the same time, you know, it, it can end up that we have, you know, a sweater's quantity 
of yarn ends up costing two to three hundred dollars, which is just out of the question for a lot of people. Like you were saying with somebody coming into your inbox and you being like, yeah, I could do it for a hundred and something. Like a lot of people are not either um, accustomed to the, the true cost or they're not in a, a financial position to shell out that kind of money, which is absolutely reasonable. Um, and I just like, I love, I have loved your thoughts on this and I would just love to hear more about how you, you personally approach it and your kind of thoughts around it. Yeah. So many thoughts around that. The yeah. first being that it's conflicting for me too, because I'm very interested and devote myself a lot to the themes of sustainability and mm. the environmental consequences of our actions. Yeah. So... <sighs> While this is the utmost importance for me, I also think it's so important that people <laughs> can afford yarn. And again, looking at people that rely on making objects to keep their sanity, you can, like, it's impossible to buy, like, good quality quotes and quotes. Um, yarn and i'm specifically talking about pure wool and like asia i love the thoughts of asia barber mm. on instagram and there was a recent post about sustainability and fashion well most of our posts are about that but there was this quote that was like sorry if i'm misquoting asia i hope i'm not it's like the most sustainable piece of clothing you can wear is the one that's already in your closet yeah which is true for so many reasons yeah. and also when it comes to yarn i know like raising sheep can be like the most unless like huge areas of grazing it can be it's it is a very important practice also for the maintenance of soil and i see that yeah, and I'm very familiar with that because we have neighbors who are doing that mm. uh, in like 180 hectares of land in like biodynamic production and different crops living there, and then the animals is a very important part of the ecosystem. But also, let's keep in mind that not all yarn is produced like this. Right. So with synthetic fibers being so cheap, which like they're cheap because it's probably much cheaper to produce plastic than it is to raise sheep, um, right. pay for their, like get them food, get them space, uh, pay the shearers, process the yarn. Right. Um, yeah, so it is cheap. It also has an environmental impact. Right. But it can be a very important way of access for folks to be able to get into the knitting world. Mm -hmm. So I think it has a very important space in the knitting community, like not regarding someone's work because of the fiber they're using. Yeah. And I see a lot of people being very strict about using wool only. Uh, which is obviously like my favorite material right. to work with, right. you know, especially like local wool and dyes. Yeah. But it also has a very huge impact on my budget. Right. Uh, so I, I need to wait if I, I want to need like that special sweater with that special wool. Right. I need to think a lot about it. I need to save for it and I need to make sure that it comes out well because if it doesn't, then I feel really frustrated that I just spent so much money in a shitty piece of clothing. Which then I think also touches with this topic of valuing our pieces of clothing. Like, when you think about it, shouldn't it be normal for us to really think about what we're knitting, to really think about how it's going to turn out, to really put our heart and effort into calculating, like, mm. gauge and all of that before we start knitting and making sure it comes out well. Right it with special wool or with the normal wool probably acrylic plants you find on your local yarn store again this intersects with the fast fashion approach to making i think yes 
Um, and like with this being said, you obviously don't need to be working with pure wool if you want to put really real effort into making a wonderful piece of clothing that is going to fit you and last for years. You can totally be doing that with acrylic based art. Right. But yeah, this being aware of this, again, the way we approach making, no matter which fiber we are using. Um, because in the end we want it would be amazing if knitting were available for some for um, for everyone, right. no matter your financial background. Yes. So this is yeah, it's definitely a very rich topic. Yeah. Around the material, but I would never want to to judge someone or their work, their abilities by whatever they're using to knit it. And I've knit so many pieces with acrylic based yarns and I love them and I think they're amazing and I can put them in the washing machine yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they come out like clean and with the perfect shape yeah <laughs> so yeah thank you for existing acrylic and synthetic blends uh there's obviously more <laughs> anything than these but they do have a very special place I think it's interesting because um about this topic, once someone told me that their way of accessing yarn and good yarn mm. is to thrift for sweaters, because you'll find on in secondhand stores a lot of clothes that are made from from pure wool. Yeah, and rip these sweaters apart and knit something new with them, which is something I've never done. That sounds like a very rich creative process. I think. Yeah. And again, with the idea of repurposing something and keep giving it life, like the pair of jeans, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like passing it around and, and doing something new with it. And maybe who knows, you rip that one sweater and you make like two baby, a few baby bonnets with it. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but it's still alive. So I like this idea of extending the life of something. Yeah. Beyond just on life be it yarn or pieces of clothing um, yeah. yeah yeah no absolutely I feel like I was just shaking like nodding my head <laughs> very furiously <laughs> that whole time because I think I think you're spot on with all of that that like it's 2020 we are beyond this bullshit yarn snob thing like we are past that there is absolutely no need to ever shame anyone for their yarn choices or the things that they can access like just period there's just no reason for that and it's an interesting thing because the I feel like people sometimes reach out to me on Instagram asking like how do you, where do you buy your yarn? Da, da, da. And I'm sort of like, I don't ever really have a good answer for that because I've never consistently been able to source yarn in a way that I feel like aligns both with like what I can financially afford and also the like ethics of the yarn that I like the ethics that I want to be embodying with the things that I'm making for myself. And Often it has been a really kind of scrappy, random process of, um, you know, attending a sheep and wool show and finding a huge skein of yarn, you know, a 500 gram skein of yarn for $40 from a sheep, you know, from a local farmer. Or I actually have found the process of thrifting and ripping apart sweaters very difficult because it so depends on, you know, the, the gauge of the yarn and construction of the sweater. Because sometimes if you, get the the ones where it hasn't been made in a certain way you just get like little pieces but I remember being so excited in, in the same way that you're talking about of, of like the possibility in that process and the fact that like oh it's possible that the local thrift store is a treasure trove of yarn for my next project and you know I think just like making space for all of these different ways of approaching how we make and what we're able to make with I think is really it's really great. And it's just something that I appreciate having conversations about and would love to kind of like have more space for conversation about these sorts of things within the fiber community, just because I do think that that's, it's just something that gets missed. You know, we have knit alongs and we have things like that and we have be beautiful, beautiful yarn, you know, don't get me wrong. All this stuff 
I'm so glad that it exists. It's gorgeous. I'm so glad that those people run their businesses doing that work. But, you know, so rarely does it get talked about in the kind of space of like, you know, I mean, maybe it is literally literally just the function of Instagram. You know, the information is traveling too quickly. We don't actually speak to all of the different pieces that we know to be true. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I've always so appreciated your approach to it. And it's nice to hear you speak to all of those different pieces of it, both the things you care about from an ethics perspective, but also like, yeah, being able to wash something, you know, my sister's request for the sweater to be machine washable was like really reasonable, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because ultimately knitting shouldn't be a privilege. So we need to keep all doors open. So right. more folks can join and, and feel the joy of making without feeling shamed. Yeah, I want to see more trading too. I feel like part of how I've gotten some of the yarn, the sweater quantities of yarn that I've gotten has been through trades, like trading other things I've knitted or, you know, I'm like, you know, I keep coming back to this, like, how can we like leverage the internet to like help us do these things that are more exciting, like passing on our projects or trading for new yarn supplies. But anyway, that's a whole other to topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm, yes and you were you were talking about when people ask you yeah by um, your rule yeah and and I was nodding because I also get that question sometimes mm. and for me knitting is is very closely intertwined with where I am so I've never have been like conscious of I don't think I've ever bought yarn uh, like wool from somewhere else, mm -hmm. like from across the sea, you know. Right. And I try to source yarn um, as locally as possible. And luckily, there's people already producing yarn and selling it. At yeah, of course, it's not for everyone. But if I can afford it, I sometimes make the effort and and buy it. Right. Or even like my local yarn store sells um, yarn from um, a Portuguese brand, and I'm pretty sure all the yarns, although the wool is actually Portuguese. Mm. So I enjoy buying from them because I know that my yarn hasn't traveled miles and miles to get where I am, and ultimately it's also a tool for me to feel connected to where I am. Now at the moment mm. I'm super excited because these friends of mine that have like the hundreds of actors of of crops just shared their mm. black merino sheep oh, wow <laughs> it's a local yeah it's a local breed like super adapted to our climate wow uh super adapted to the long periods of drought wow. and i'm having a bag with five kilos of it so it's going to be my first attempt at processing a garment really from the beginning to end yeah uh, uh, really I, I just need to go and pick it up oh my gosh it's waiting for me for so long so yeah oh, doing it so and yes also from the perspective of really understanding how much work it takes to get um a piece on my hand like a finished object because even with knitting like yeah heck yeah knitting takes so long but what about the yarn like that's also like a huge process yeah so i already know that i won't dye it so that's like less time yeah <laughs> the colors those sheep are like the most beautiful rich deep brown bluish reddish color yeah and i also know that it's probably going to be shit because it's the first time <laughs> i've been i've been spinning a bit and i think i've gotten the hang of it but like i'm not putting too many expectations on whatever is coming from there i also yeah. don't really know how much five kilos will do like probably with the washing let's put it on like 250. right i don't know it's it's a it's an experiment but i'm very excited to deepen yes. this connection with the processing of yarn and with the knitting and it must be like i know for a lot of people this is common but for me it will be the first time knitting something i've spun i've yeah. processed yeah so, mm -hmm. yes. yeah i will tell you about it 
Yeah, that is so exciting. My, it's funny, it's funny timing that you mentioned that too, because I was just looking on Craigslist, which is like our kind of local free things or things for sale. And um, a friend sent me a link to like somebody who was giving away a few fleeces because they were moving and they were like, you know, these are free. I just want them to go to someone who will spin them into yarn. And they must have gotten snatched before I sent my email, you know, asking for them being like, oh, I'm so excited. But my partner had has kind of been fiddling around with my spinning wheel, which was really generously just given to me by a very nice person, <laughs> just a stranger who was wonderful. And he was fiddling around with it. And I saw him spinning and I thought, oh, this is exciting. And he started asking me questions about like, okay, so this thing in my hands, what's this called? And I'm like, oh, that's roving. And he's like, so what, what's the difference between fleece and roving? And I was like, oh, well, the washing and like the carding basically and like or combing, depending on whether you're making, you know, yarn for weaving or yarn for knitting. And, and he was like, how do you do that? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I've never done it before. And, and I know, like, I've always kind of, I've like peripherally known these things, or I've gotten to see them done in a, in a more commercial context, or like a slightly more industrial context, like living in Australia and going to a couple of sheep farms. But I, I just was realizing like, oh yeah, that is the next like logical step for what I would like to do. You know, I would like to take a fleece, wash it, card it and start spinning it and then turn it into a garment. And I just realized both one, I have no idea what I'm doing, like zero idea. <laughs> and I kind of have Googled around and been like, ooh, okay, the Google, the Google verse of like pre-prepping your fiber, pre-spinning is not quite as rich as the, you know, knitting tutorial community. Like, okay, this is going to be a little bit, I'm going to have to piece some information together and also just like trial and error, but also just like how excited I was. I think part of what brings me back to knitting is the continual opportunity for learning. Mm-hmm. And realizing that there was this whole other sphere of, you know, like, okay, I kind of know how to spin. Like you said, like, I kind of have the hang of it. I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know if my yarns are, quote, balanced or anything, but also, like, do I care? Not that much. <laughs> but, yeah, the the whole, I think that, like, as you're, you know, as you're saying, like, oh, I just need to go pick up this fleece and start. Like, I'm so excited for you because that that's, at least for me, and I imagine you might feel similarly, like part of this is just how interesting, like perpetually interesting and how many opportunities there are to learn something new, you know? Yeah. And there's, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the things with crafts, you can always grow, um, learn more and yeah. grow in different directions and yeah. keep on expanding. It's not static and right. it's not static in so many ways. Like you're whole like your approach to it where your material is sourced from how the different outcomes vary according to what material you're using which conditions you're making it in maybe this is like the possibility of making that's one of the reasons why making in general is so exciting yeah it's like i don't like brewing kombucha you know like my Mm -hmm. little kombucha is there sitting in a five liter jar and it's absolutely different from from the batch I did before because the climate is like the weather is hotter. Yeah. It's a different amount of tea. It's a different amount of sugar. I stir it with a different spoon with different bacteria in it. <laughs> Does this yeah. make sense? Absolutely, yes. I don't think. Yeah, you can't see me nodding, but yes. I, I just, Kat, I am so glad that you've been here today because it's just all of these thoughts. I feels like it feels like having. A conversation where we each are piecing together you know it's just it feels good <laughs> suffice to say it's very good. yeah this conversation felt a lot like the pair of jeans like passing yeah. from one to the other keeping adding on it <laughs> yes totally totally absolutely yeah yeah no i i think that that's i want to i want to like end it here because i think what you've just said about like that's that's it that kind of encompassing of the possibility of making like this sort of never-ending expression that will always differ no matter how hard we try to make it the same it will always change and that's it's kind of special magic Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah thank you so much for being here (laughs) thank you for inviting me
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The Close Knit Podcast is hosted by me, Ani Lee. A huge thank you to Andrew Bruce for writing podcast theme music that makes me genuinely smile every time I hear it. And giant thanks to my amazing producer, Amelia Harubi. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash closeknit.